The following content is provided under a Creative Commons license. Your support will help MIT OpenCourseWare continue to offer high-quality educational resources for free. To make a donation or view additional materials from hundreds of MIT courses, visit MIT OpenCourseWare at ocw.mit.edu. Right. Morning, everyone. I hope you all had a great spring break, and during which I like, hope you can have more of 6046. Today, we're going to look at uh, network flow and two things in network flow. The first one is Atmon's CARP algorithm. And, uh, after that, we're going to look at some two applications. And in particular, they are called bipartite matching and cover. <coughs> OK. So uh, we'll start with a simpler algorithm, which is Ford Focusum. Uh, can someone remind us what Fulkerson does? Okay. Every time you have an automating class, it gets rid of it. It gets rid of it, yep. Uh, what's your name, by the way? Misha. Misha. Uh, okay, so. Well, Misha gave a very brief description, but let's be a little more, bit more detailed. So we have a graph network flow, uh, G, and the first thing it's go going to do is that given the flow, it will transform G from a rescue graph. Everyone remembers that? Then uh, FF algorithm will find a path uh, going from source to sync in this rescue graph. <coughs> and then augment this path. Uh, augment just means, augmenting just means uh, increasing the flow on that path. By how much? Yeah, the minimum edge on the path. Uh, let me just define that to be the capacity of the path, which is the capacity of the weakest link. OK, then uh, what's the last step we're missing here? So after augmenting, our flow changed from f to f prime. And then we're going to loop back. We have a f prime, then gf prime, find the path in gf prime, and uh, continue from there. <coughs> so this algorithm, uh, in some sense, is not even a very detailed algorithm, because it doesn't say how to find a path in the second step. And that's indeed the problem, because we have seen a a pathologically bad case 
where um, each capacity is a billion. And the correct way to do it is simply like augmenting this path and then that path. Oh, sorry, there's an edge one. Right. Then we'll be done. But uh, the pathologically bad case is we keep going through this middle edge. <coughs> okay, so Edmund Karp is an improvement to this algorithm. Let me just write it here. It's, uh, it's first step, third, and fourth steps are actually exactly the same. No change from both Fulkerson. The only thing it does is that it finds a special path. Uh, did Srini cover this in the lecture? That what path uh, Edmonds Carp finds? I see some people nodding. OK, uh, go ahead. You run the first search from uh, the source to the sink in GF, take mm -hmm. the shortest path. OK, does everyone agree with that? So Edmund Carp finds the shortest path from, I guess, can you see that part? Nope, I'm oh, sorry about that. find the shortest path. Uh, here, shortest just means least number of hops. Here, uh, in this pathologically bad example, Edmund Cobb will do much better because it will find this path instead of this weird path. Right? Because that path, is distance is 2, and the one going across the middle is 3. Okay, now we are going to prove that this algorithm runs in order VE square. <coughs> so okay. Uh, so one step back. Do we have to prove that is correct? That it indeed finds the uh, maximum flow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't. I claim I don't have to do that because it's the same thing as uh, Ford Fulkerson. You can find any path. Now. We want to show, we want to bound this runtime. Uh, so any idea, high level idea, how we are going to do that? In which several steps? So uh, okay, a simpler question: What's the what's the complexity of this second step? Find the shortest path from source to sink. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Uh, o v plus e. O v plus e, and uh, in this case, actually, v is always less than e, right? So I can simply say 
O of E. Now, how long does it take to augment that path if we have found it? O of E. That's correct. But I claim I, we can say, we can also say it's O of V. Right? Because the shortest path, uh, at least have, uh, at most, has V hops. And then from F to F prime, okay. So I think in some sense, these two are the same steps. And also of V, and then updating the residue graph is also of V. So one of this iteration, each iteration takes how long? Of V. Of V, right? This is the uh, most expensive step in one iteration. Okay, so what else do we have to do to prove this bound? We need to show that the number of iterations is O of V times E. If we can show that, then we are pretty much done. Okay. Okay, now to prove that bound, uh, we first need a lemma, which uh, we call monotonic. So let me define delta FV. This is the length of the shortest path from S from the source to V, which is a node in the graph. The length of that in residue graph of F. Okay, is that definition clear? And this lemma says delta FV for any vertex v does not decrease. Okay, so it can only uh, monotonically in, uh, increases. Okay, we're going to prove that. <coughs> so we'll prove by contradiction. Assume this is not the case. That means um, there is some v that in f prime, which is the uh, new residue graph, its shortest path the, uh, from the source in the new residue graph is less than the old one. Right? That's. Uh, We are going to derive a contradiction to that. But uh, so there may be many such vertices that drop. But, I'm, uh, but if there if there is any, I'm going to define v 
to be the one with smallest delta in f prime. OK, any questions about this step? So there could be like v1, v2, v3 that all uh, make this happen. So I'm going to choose the one among those that has the smallest distance from the source. OK? Now here is my source. Uh, we have a path to v in in graph uh, gf prime. Okay, so this is a path. Then I can always find the predecessor, which I'll call, which I'll call u here. Okay, if this is the shortest path to v, uh, what can I say about delta of v and Delta of u. What can I say about these two quantities? Can we decrease? Mm -hmm. can, we, can we decrease one of them? This one is greater than that? One of them must be. One of them is greater than the other? And that's always true, right? For any two quantities. <laughs> Misha said v is u plus 1. Does that make sense to everyone? Because that's the shortest path to v. It goes through u. OK, that's correct. So because I. OK, maybe I wasn't clear about that. I defined u to be v's predecessor on the shortest path. OK. Then definitely uh, delta f prime of v is delta f prime, delta f prime u plus 1. OK. Now, I'll use u to be my step stone back to the original graph f. Uh, I want to say something about this quantity and delta u in graph f. What can I say about that? <clears throat> this is a tricky part. Mm -hmm. This one is greater than that? Or the entire thing is greater than that? Okay, I'm going to claim this one is greater than delta f u plus 1, uh, by which I'm, uh, I'm claiming this quantity is larger than that. 
can anyone give a reason why I can uh, claim that? So recall how I defined V. Good question. So V, uh, so there are several, probably several Vs that have uh, delta F prime less than delta F. Right? I'm going to define V to be the, be the one with smallest delta F okay? among all those nodes that have a drop in delta F, in delta. Right? This is probably a tricky part. Then by definition, since delta F u is less than delta F v, right? And I defined v to be the, to be the one with the smallest delta that satisfies that. So all the u's, so u is the predecessor of v, so u shouldn't be one of those nodes who, that have a drop in delta. In delta. Okay? So I, I know this is probably a tricky part. And uh, yeah, I'll stop for questions, and yeah, make sure we resolve this part before we move on. How many people get it? Okay, only two. That's not good. Okay. I'm confused about how V can be the one with the smallest delta f if we have a predecessor with a smaller delta f. Okay. So, uh, okay, maybe v to be the smallest, the one with smallest f, such that delta f prime is less than delta f. Okay. Okay. okay maybe yeah. That's that's why uh, yeah I confused you guys. Yeah. Sorry about that. So we have a bunch of nodes who have a drop in delta, and I define v to be the one among them that has the smallest delta f prime. Question? Sorry, I'm lost to what delta f prime is versus delta f. OK, delta f uh, of a node is the shortest path from source to that node in g of f, which is the residue graph given a flow. Right? So f is, uh, well, some flow. And f prime is the flow after we augmenting a certain path. So f prime is one step after f. <coughs> OK, how many people get that now? Okay, still not everyone? Okay, any questions about that? How, how many people like, still haven't got that? Hmm. OK, so. Some people, it's like Schrodinger's cat. It's in the <laughs> middle state. <clears throat> well, then I'll have to move on. And I'll assume you all get this, uh, get that one. Now, <clears throat> uh, as the last step, so of course we will ask, what's the relation between this guy and delta f of v, right? Because uh, in the end, we want to show we want to show a contradiction 
that delta fv is probably greater or equal to delta f of v. And this is another tricky part. Uh, so let me ask a maybe a simpler question now. So that is our g of f prime. So we also have g of f. Right? It has the source, some u here, v there, sink there. Uh, does this edge exist in this graph? <coughs> so I know it, that edge exists because I defined u to be the predecessor of v. Right? But uv is in that graph doesn't necessarily mean uv is in the old graph. So it could certainly exist, but is it possible that this edge didn't exist? How many people would say uh, that edge definitely exists? How many people would say maybe it doesn't exist? It doesn't matter, because we can prove both cases. So let's say case one, uh, uv is indeed in the original graph, gff. Okay. In that case, can I say something about that last step? So the shortest path in this graph to v is not necessarily this one, right? But if it's some other one, OK, so in case one, I'm assuming this edge exists, right? Then no matter what the shortest path is, it's definitely shorter than I first go to from s to u and then u to v, right? The shortest path between s to v is definitely shorter then I first go from s to u, and then u to v. Make sense? Okay, so <coughs> case one, uh, done. It's a contradiction, because we showed that delta f prime of v is greater or equal to delta f of v. Any questions about that? OK, case two. uv is not in G, gf. OK, so how can that even happen? Is it possible that this edge didn't exist? <clears throat> okay. 
Okay, great point. That's exactly right. So it, it is possible that this edge didn't exist, but only appeared after we go from f to f prime. How can that happen? That must mean we are augmenting a path that goes right through it. right? But this edge doesn't exist, so we cannot be augmenting a path that crosses this way. We must be augmenting a path that goes like that. Right? First from s to v, and then v to u, and then u to t. If we are augmenting such a path, then we're going to remove this edge from v to u. But we will add uh, u to v to the next graph. <clears throat> OK? Did everyone get that? So now uh, here, more formally, I'm going to claim if we assume uv is not in GFF, and we also know uv is in GF prime. What does that mean? These two can only be caused by the fact that uv is in GFF, G, uh, G of F. Not only in that graph, it must be on the uh, it must be on the path we are augmenting. <coughs> Make sense? <coughs> okay. So given that, can we say something about? delta f of u and delta f of v. So here is our p, right? this, this entire thing here. P is the augmenting path. Correct, right? So if that is the augmenting path in Edmund Karp, we are looking for the shortest path, right? So V is the predecessor of U, then delta of U is delta of V plus 1. That means that quantity here. is delta f of v plus 2. <coughs> OK? So it's also a contradiction to what we assumed. <coughs> right. 
Right? So that proves the, our lemma of uh, every node's delta monotonically increases. Now here, I'm going to show that uh, our final theorem that we have at most VE number of iterations. <coughs> so the way we're going to show that is uh, we're going to show, we're going to define uh, a capacity of the path. It must be the capacity of its weakest link. We're going to define its weakest link is uv. Okay? And we're going to show that uv, uh, we'll call that critical edge. We're going to show uv can be critical only all of v times. If that, if that holds for every edge, then I claim uh, all the edges combined can only be augmented of VE times. <coughs> now, uh, how do we show that? So again, let's assume we are augmenting the path from that goes through u to v. If we do that, by our algorithm, we will get rid of this path right, and have an edge backwards when we go from f to some other f prime. <clears throat> now, when can I augment uv again? It can only happen if at some point I come back to augment the path going from v to u, right? And because that will eliminate this back uh, back edge and and adds back our edge uv. <coughs> okay, let's see what happens there. Uh, now let, I'll call this graph f, this graph f prime. So in f prime, we know we are augmenting the path from v to u by the same argument. Delta u is delta v plus 1 in f prime, correct? And we know this one doesn't drop, right? So it's greater or equal than delta f of v plus 1. Okay. And we also know in f, v is the predecessor of u. So this one is equal to delta f of u plus 2. <clears throat> what does that mean? It means in between. Uh, Two times uv is, augment, uh, is augmented, delta of u must increase by at least two. Then how large can delta of a certain node possibly be? It's definitely bounded by of v, right? Bounded by v. 
So then I claim this particular edge uv can only be involved, can only be critical uh, edge of v times, actually half of v times, strictly. <coughs> so then every edge combined, there can only be half of v times e number of augmentation. Any questions about that part, about the entire proof? Not we'll move on. Okay, this is not part of the uh, required in the recitation, but I'll quickly say a few words about uh, an even better algorithm, DINIC, which runs in <coughs> of v squared times e. So this is an improvement to Edmund Karp, and its idea is that I'm going to find all the shortest path in one go from S to T. Okay, I'm going to augment all of them at the same time. <coughs> then, because they are all shortest path, when I augment that, each path will be broken. Right? Maybe I'll get rid of this edge, this edge, and that edge. And the thesis is that the shortest path uh, will increase. Here, the shortest path is 3, but I have destroyed all the shortest path of length 3, so I'm going to shortest path of 4. If they do that, you can bound the number of iterations to O of v, because your shortest path can, no long, uh, can be at most v. But uh, each iteration is slightly more complicated, because you f need to find all the shortest path, and it happens that they can show you can find it in v times e. That gives the v square of v. Okay, that's not the important part. And the more interesting part is that actually the author of this algorithm, is, his name is Dinitz. But his algorithm is very hard to understand that, well, nobody, yeah, nobody got that. And there is some other guy who, whose name is, I think, is Ivan. Uh, he, he understood the problem and started advertising to people and giving lectures uh, on Dinitz's algorithm. So he popularized the algorithm, but unfortunately, he got the name of the author wrong. And so that's why this algorithm is henceforth called Dynic's algorithm. And this is useful to know. Why? Because you can tell this story to other people, so they will assume that you know a lot about Dynic's algorithm. Well, in <laughs> fact, you probably don't. And that's exactly what I'm doing here. Right? Uh, OK. Now, let's look at one application. Uh, bipartite matching. Uh, OK, so the problem is that we have 
like several person and several tasks. Uh, let me get rid of one person because I don't want to draw that um, many stuff. So we have a graph like that. And each edge, if there's an edge, that means this person is capable of performing that task. And the problem is that uh, find the matching, which means the assignment from people to tasks, such that we get as many tasks done as possible. Okay, so one person can only do one task, and one task only needs one person. So here you can see a bad uh, matching, which is I assign this first guy to task one, then no one can do task two. Right? So if I'm smarter, I'll assign one of these guys to that task and have this uh, person handle the other task. Is the problem clear? So uh, this is called bipartal graph because, uh, well, which means you can partition a graph into two parts. And within each part, there is no edge connecting any pair of vertices. And you can also define this problem for a general graph. The goal is the same, that find a subset of edges uh, such that no two edges are connected to the same vertex. Okay, but we are going to look at uh, bipartite uh, graph. And we claim in bipartite graph, this can be solved using max flow. Okay, I'll give you one minute to think about that, how to transform that problem <coughs> to a max flow problem. ideas? A hint. Uh, I will add the source here and the sink there. And I'll have create these edges. 
like how do I restrict the capacity of all the edges such that I can guarantee uh, no, like each person is, no person is taking two tasks and no task is assigned to two people. Make all of them wait one. Okay, if I, we do that, one, 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 and everything here is wait one, then that's definitely correct. Uh, what's your name? Uh, Calvin. Calvin? Okay. Uh, if we do that, then, well, because each person only has one incoming edge, oh, sorry, maybe I, I should have drawn the arrows here. Each person only has one incoming edge, so it cannot take care of two tasks at the same time. Right? Same thing for each task. It's only, it only has one outgoing edge, so it cannot be taken care of by multiple people. Okay, so if we find if the max flow is k, that means we can find that the max matching is also k. And we can get k tasks done. It's very easy to see because we can have a cut here. And if the max flow is k, that clearly k tasks are taken care of. OK, any question about that? Uh, find an uh, assignment from uh, people to task to get as many <coughs> tasks done as possible. So how many tasks can we uh, handle? <coughs> okay, so I'm doing a, a different topic from the recitation note. In the recitation note, uh, we are considering another problem called bipartite cover which is exactly the same thing as that. So cover, also by part of graph, is defined to as, uh, let's find several vertices in this graph, such that each node at least, OK, let, uh, let me color several nodes in this graph, such that each edge uh, is connected to at least one dark node. Okay. And this, the nodes are colored, is called a cover. I want to find a minimum co cover. Right. You, you can, of course, if, if you can, of course, cover all the nodes, that's trivially holds, but we are looking for the minimum cover. And the claim is that mm, main cover is K if and only if max flow. Sorry, uh, max matching is k. Why is that? Because in that matching, uh, if we have a matching, then we have a set of disjoint edges, right? No two edges are connected to the same node. So if we want to cover these edges, we at least have to add one of this guy 
one of color one of these two and one of these two. Right? So if we have k matching edges, then we at least need k nodes to cover them. For example, I can color co uh, cover them like that. Uh, but this is not a full proof, because I also need to show I can indeed find the cover that, that is k. Think about whether I should uh, prove that. Okay, I'm going to give it a try. Uh, if you don't get that, that's fine. Uh, okay, cover. Cover is a set of nodes such that every edge in the graph is connected to at least one of the nodes in a cover. Okay, so this is not a cover because this edge is not covered. Right, so in this case, I probably have to add that as well. But clearly, there is a better cover, a, a even a smaller cover, which is those two. Right? Yeah. So how are we going to transform that matching to cover? So uh, let me go first give a matching here. One max matching should be something like this. I have this edge and one of those two. That is a matching, right? Oh, that is a max matching. No question about that. Right? So let me get rid of all these. One way to transform this into a cover is that uh, I will first color these two guys. Uh, I'll color the nodes on the left where they are connected to a matching edge. Right? After that, I'm going to start from this one and uh, jump between nodes, taking alternating path, meaning I'll take an unmatched edge and then take a matched edge and then take an unmatched edge again, but there's no such thing. Mm. Okay, and if I take this jump, I will swap them, make that dark. <coughs> OK, this graph is a little strange. Ah, OK, now I claim this is a cover. Is that? Yeah, that is one, right? And uh, if there is another like unmatched edge going out, then I'll keep taking that alternate, alternating path. But I have to stop, because there is uh, no such edge anymore. How can I say, why can I prove, why can I claim this is a cover? So clearly, this is, if this is a cover, then it's a cover of size k, right? So it's, we have proved the entire thing. Uh, then we are going to consider several things separately. 
So I, I'm going to first claim if I have a matched edge, then it's definitely covered because uh, one of its endpoints is dark. Right? We only do a switching between dark and white if it is indeed if it's a matched edge itself. Right? So I only need to show that there, this thing doesn't happen. There is an edge that's unmatched, and two of its endpoints are both white. Okay, I'm going to first claim uh, this node cannot have a matched edge. Because if it does, then this is alternating path, and I'm going to switch that to, switch this to. Okay, make sense? Okay, so this doesn't exist. So it can only have unmatched edge. Now, what can I say about this node? I claim this node needs at least one matched edge. Because if it doesn't, right, then I should add this guy into my matching. Right? It doesn't violate any uh, constraint. Right? I didn't add that because there is probably a matched edge connecting to this guy. Then I'm going to, so then this guy has to be dark because this one is not. Right? Then how did this one become dark? It must come from some other guy on the left. Right? So there is an alternating path going back and forth. Something like this. Right? There is an alternating path starting from left, but ends here. Right? Because we showed that this guy is not connecting to any matched edges. In that case, what I'm going to do is I'll match this edge, match this edge, match this edge, and unmatch these two edges. And that's a larger matching. Right? So I removed the two, I added three. That means uh, uh, max matching of k leads to a minimum cover of k as well, which also means uh, max flow of k in our network flow. Okay. So this part, this equivalence is not required, and you you should know uh, this proof, the proof of Edmond Karp. I know that uh, matching and cover can be solved by network flow, and that Dini's name is spelled not as Dinic. <laughs> okay, uh, that's everything for today.